Chapters sixteen and seventeen of the Shepherd of the Hills. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Chapter sixteen. On the way home. Not until the party was breaking up and he saw Sammy in the doorway did young Matt go back to the house. When they had ridden again out of the circle of light, and the laughter and shouting of the guests was no longer heard, Sammy tried in vain to arouse her silent escort, chatting gaily about the pleasures of the evening. But all the young man's reserve had returned. When she did force him to speak, his responses were so short and cold that at last the girl, too, was silent. Then, manlike, he wished she would continue talking. By the time they reached Compton Ridge, the moon was well up. For the last two miles, Sammy had been watching the wavering shafts of light that slipped through the tremulous leaves and swaying branches. As they rode, a thousand fantastic shapes appeared and vanished along the way, and now and then, as the sound of their horses' feet echoed through the silent forest, some wild thing in the underbrush leaped away into the gloomy depth. Coming out on top of the narrow ridge, the brown pony crowded closer to the big white-faced sorrel, and the girl, stirred by the weird loveliness of the scene, broke the silence with an exclamation. "'Oh, Matt, ain't it fine? Look there!' She pointed to the view ahead. "'Makes me feel like I could keep on a-goin' and goin' and never stop.' The man, too, felt the witchery of the night. The horses were crowding more closely together now, and, leaning forward, the girl looked up into his face. "'What's the matter, Matt? Why don't you talk to me? You know it ain't true what them folks said back there.' The sorrel was jerked farther away. "'It's true enough so far as it touches me,' returned the man shortly. "'When are you going to the city?' "'I don't know,' she replied. Let's don't talk about that tonight. I don't want even to think about it, not tonight. You, you don't believe what they was a saying, Matt. You know you don't. You mustn't ever believe such as that. I, I never could get along without you and Aunt Molly and Uncle Matt nohow. The brown pony was again crowding closer to his mate. The girl laid a hand on her companion's arm. Say you don't blame me for what they said, Matt. You know I wouldn't do no such thing, even if I could. There mustn't anything ever come between you and me. Never. Never. I... I want us always to be like we are now. You've been so good to me ever since I was a little trick, and you whipped Big Lem Wheeler for teasing me. I... I don't guess I could get along without knowing you was around somewhere. She finished with half a sob. It was almost too much. The man swung around in his saddle, and the horses, apparently of their own accord, stopped. Without a word, the big fellow stretched forth his arms, and the girl, as if swept by a force beyond her control, felt herself swaying toward him. The spell was broken by the trampling of horses and the sound of loud voices. For a moment they held their places, motionless, as if rudely awakened from a dream. 
The sound was coming nearer. Then young Matt spoke. It's Wash Gibbs and his crowd from the still. Right into the brush, quick. There was no time for flight. In the bright moonlight they would have been easily recognized, and a wild chase would have followed. Leaving the road, they forced their horses into a thick clump of bushes, where they dismounted, to hold the animals by their heads. Scarcely had they gained this position when the first of the crowd reached the spot where they had been a moment before. Wash Gibbs was easily distinguished by his gigantic form, and with him were ten others, riding two and two, several of whom were known to young Matt as the most lawless characters in the country. All were fired by drink and were laughing and talking, with now and then a burst of song or a vulgar jest. "'I say, Wash,' called one, "'what'll you do if young Matt's there?' The unseen listeners could not hear the leader's reply, but those about the speaker laughed and shouted with great glee. Then the two in the bushes distinctly heard the last man in the line ask his companion, "'Do you reckon he'll put up a fight?' and as they passed from sight the other answered, "'Wash don't aim to give him no show.' When the sounds had died away, young Matt turned to the girl. "'Come on, we've got to keep him in sight.' But Sammy held back. "'Oh, Matt, don't go yet. We must not. Didn't you hear what that man said? It's you they're after. Let's wait here until they're clean gone.' "'No taint. They ain't a-wantin' me,' the big fellow replied. And before the young woman could protest further, he lifted her to the saddle, as easily as if she were a child. Then, springing to the back of his own horse, he led the way at a pace that would keep them within hearing of the company of men. "'Who is it, Matt? Who is it if it ain't you?' asked the girl. Don't know for sure yet, but I'll tell you pretty soon. They had not gone far when young Matt stopped the horse to listen intently, and soon by the sound he could tell that the party ahead had turned off the ridge road and were following the trail that leads down the eastern side of the mountain. A moment longer the mountaineer listened, as if to make sure. Then he spoke. Them devils are going to the ranch after Dad Howitt. Sammy, you've got to ride hard tonight. They won't hear you now, and they're getting farther off every minute. There ain't no other way, and I know you'll do it for the old man. Get home as quick as you can and tell Jim what's up. Tell him I'll hold him until he gets there. Even as he spoke, he sprang from his horse and began loosening the saddle girths. But Matt, protested the girl, how can you? You can't get by them. How are you going to get there in time? Down the mountain, shortcut he answered as he jerked the heavy saddle from his horse and threw it under some nearby bushes. "'But they'll kill you. You can't never face that whole crowd alone.' "'I can do it better in Dad, and him not a-lookin' for them.' Slipping the bridle from the sorrel, he turned the animal loose, and removing his coat and hat, laid them with the saddle. Then to the girl on the pony he said sharply, "'Go on, Sammy, why don't you go on?' Don't you see how you're losin' time? Them devils will do for Dad Howitt like they done for old man Lewis. Your father's the only man can stop em now. Ride hard, girl, and tell Jim to hurry. And—and and good-bye, Sammy. As he finished, he spoke to her horse and struck him such a blow that the animal sprang away. 
For a moment Sammy attempted to pull up her startled pony. Then young Matt saw her lean forward in the saddle and urge the little horse to even greater speed. As they disappeared down the road, the giant turned and ran crashing through the brush down the steep side of the mountain. There was no path to follow, and with deep ravines to cross, rocky bluffs to descend or scale, and in places wild tangles of vines and brush and fallen trees, the trip before him would have been a hard one even in the full light of day. At night it was almost impossible, and he must go like a buck with the dogs in full cry. When Sammy came in sight of her home, she began calling to her father, and, as the almost exhausted horse dashed up to the big gate, the door of the cabin opened, and Jim came running out. Lifting his daughter from the trembling pony, he helped her into the house where she sobbed out her message. At the first word, Wash Gibbs, Jim reached for a cartridge belt, and by the time Sammy had finished, he had taken his Winchester from its brackets over the fireplace. Slipping a bridle on his horse that was feeding in the yard, he sprang upon the animal's back without waiting for a saddle. "'Stay in the cabin, girl. Put out the light, and don't open the door until I come,' he said, and he was gone. As Sammy turned back into the house, from away down in Mutton Hollow, on the night wind, came the sound of guns. CHAPTER Seventeen: WHAT HAPPENED AT THE RANCH It was after midnight when Mr. Howitt was rudely awakened. The bright moon shining through the windows lit up the interior of the cabin, and he easily recognized young Matt standing by the bed with Pete, who was sleeping at the ranch that night, nearby. "'Why, Matt, what is the matter?' exclaimed the shepherd, sitting up. He could not see that the big fellow's clothing was torn, that his hat was gone, and that he was dripping with perspiration. But he could hear his labored breathing. Strong as he was, the young giant was nearly exhausted by the strain of his race over the mountains. "'Get up quick, Dad. I'll tell you while you're putting on your clothes,' the woodsman answered. And while the shepherd dressed, he told him in a few words, finishing with, Call Brave inside and get your gun, with all the shells you can find. Don't show a light for a minute. They'll be here any time now, and it'll be a good bit yet before Sammy can get home. He began fastening the front door. The peaceful-minded scholar could not grasp the meaning of the message. It was to him an impossible thought. You must be mistaken, Grant, he said. Surely you are excited and unduly alarmed. Wash Gibbs has no reason to attack me. Young Matt replied gruffly, I ain't making no mistake in the woods, Dad. You ain't in the city now, and there ain't no one can hear you holler. Don't think I am scared neither, if that's what you mean. But there's ten of them in that bunch, and they're bad ones. You'd better call Brave, sir. He'll be some help when it comes to the rush. But the other persisted. You must be mistaken, lad. Why should anyone wish to harm me? Those men are only out fox-hunting, or something like that. If they should be coming here, it is all a mistake I can easily explain. Explain hell, ejaculated the mountaineer. I ask your pardon, Dad, but you don't know, not being raised in these woods like me. Old man Lewis hadn't done nothing neither, and he explained too, only he never got through explaining. They ain't got no reason they're drunk. You've never seen Wash Gibbs drunk, and tonight he's got his whole gang with him. 
I don't know why he's coming after you, but from what you told me about his stopping here that evening, and what I've heard lately I can guess. I know what he'll do when he gets here if we don't stop him. It'll be all the same to you whether he's right or wrong. Brave came trotting into the cabin through the rear door, and lay down in his corner by the fireplace. "'That's mighty funny,' said young Matt. Then, as he glanced quickly around, "'Where's Pete?' The boy had slipped away while the two men were talking. Stepping outside, they called several times, but, save the "'Hoo! Hoo!' of an owl in a big tree near the corral, there was no answer. The boy's all right, anyway, said the young man. Nothing in the woods ever hurts Pete. He's safer there than he would be here, and I'm glad he's gone. The shepherd did not reply. He seemed not to hear, but stood as though fascinated by the scene. He still could not grasp the truth of the situation, but the beauty of the hour moved him deeply. What a marvelous, what a wonderful sight, he said at last in a low tone. I do not wonder the boy loves to roam the hills a night like this. Look, Grant, see how soft the moonlight falls on that patch of grass this side of the old tree yonder, and how black the shadow is under that bush, like the mouth of a cave, a witch's cave. I am sure there are ghosts and goblins in there, with fairies and gnomes, and perhaps a dragon or two. And see, lad, how the great hills rise into the sky— how grand, how beautiful the world is! It is good to live, Matt, though life be sometimes hard, still. Still it is good to live. At the old scholar's words and manner, the mountaineer too forgot for a moment the thing that had brought him there, and a look of awe and wonder came over his rugged features, as the shepherd with his face turned upward and his deep voice full of emotion repeated, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. The owl left his place in the old tree, and flew across the moonlit clearing into the deeper gloom of the woods. Inside the cabin the dog barked, and through the still night from down the valley, where the ranch trail crosses the creek, came the rattle of horses' feet on the rocky floor of the little stream, and the faint sound of voices. Young Matt started, and again the man of the wilderness was master of the situation. "'They're coming, Dad. We ain't got no time to lose.' Re-entering the cabin, Mr. Howitt quieted the dog, while his companion fastened the rear door, and in the silence while they waited, a cricket under the corner of the house sang his plaintive song. The sound of voices grew louder as the horses drew nearer. Brave growled and would have barked again, but was quieted by the shepherd who crouched at his side, with one hand on the dog's neck. The older man smiled to himself. It all seemed to him so like a child's game. He had watched the mountaineer's preparation with amused interest, and had followed the young woodsman's directions, even to the loaded shotgun in his hand as one would humor a boy in his play. The scholar's mind, trained to consider the problems of civilization and to recognize the dangers of the city, 
refused to entertain seriously the thought that there, in the peaceful woods, in the dead of night, a company of ruffians was seeking to do him harm. The voices had ceased, and the listeners heard only the sound of the horse's feet as the party passed the ruined cabin under the bluff. A moment or two later, the rider stopped in front of the ranch house. Brave growled again, but was silenced by the hand on his neck. Young Matt was at the window. "'I see them,' he whispered. "'They're getting off their horses and tying them to the corral fence.' The smile on the shepherd's face vanished, and he experienced a queer sensation. It was as though something gripped his heart. The other continued his whispered report. "'They're bunching up now under the old tree, talking things over. Don't know what to make of the dog not being around, I reckon.' Now they're taking a drink. It takes a lot of whiskey to help ten men jump onto one old man, and him a stranger in the woods. Now Wash is sending two of them around to the back so you can't slip out into the brush. Shh! Here comes a couple more to try the front door. He slipped quietly across the room to the shepherd's side. The visitors came softly up to the front door and tried it gently. A moment later the rear door was tried in the same way. "'Let Brave speak to them,' whispered young Matt, and the dog, feeling the restraining hand removed, barked fiercely. Mr. Howitt, following his companion's whispered instructions, spoke aloud. "'What's the matter, Brave?' A bold knock at the front door caused the dog to redouble his efforts, until his master commanded him to be still. "'Who is there?' called the shepherd. "'Young Matt's took powerful bad,' answered a voice, "'and they want you to come up to the house and doctor him.' A drunken laugh came from the old tree, followed by a smothered oath. The giant at Mr. Howitt's side growled under his breath, "'Oh, I'm sick, am I? There's them that'll be a heap sicker before morning. Keep on a-talkin', Dad. We've got to make all the time we can so's Jim can get here.' The shepherd called again. "'I do not recognize your voice. You must tell me who you are.' Outside there was a short consultation, followed by a still louder knock. "'Open up! Why don't you open up and see who we are?' While from under the tree came a call. "'Quit your foolin' and bring him out of there, you fellers.' This command was followed by a still more vigorous hammering at the door and the threats. "'Open up, old man!' "'Open up, or we'll sure bust her in!' Mr. Howitt whispered to his companion, "'Let me open the door and talk to them, Grant. Surely they will listen to reason.' But the woodsman returned, "'Talk to a nest of rattlers. Jim Lane's the only man that can talk to them now. We've got to stand them off as long as we can.' As he spoke, he raised his revolver and was about to fire a shot through the door, when a slight noise at one side of the room attracted his attention. He turned just in time to catch a glimpse of a face as it was withdrawn from one of the little windows. The noise at the door ceased suddenly, and they heard the two men running to join the group under the tree. "'They found you ain't alone,' whispered the big fellow, springing to the window again. And as a wild drunken yell came from the visitors, he added, "'Seems like there's some excited about it, too. They're holding a regular powwow. What do you reckon they're thinking?' Hope they'll keep it up till Jim—shh, here comes another. 
bullets at ornery Jim Bowles from the mouth of Indian Creek. The man approached the cabin, but stopped some distance away and called, "'Hello, old man!' "'Well, what do you want?' answered Mr. Howitt. "'Who's that feller you got with you?' "'A friend.' "'Yes, we allowed it were a friend, and we all want to see him powerful bad. Can't he come out and play with us, mister?' Another laugh came from the group under the tree. Young Matt whispered, "'Keep him a-talkin', Dad.' And Mr. Howitt called, "'He doesn't feel like playing tonight. Come back to-morrow.' At this the spokesman dropped his bantering tone. "'Look a-here, old man. We uns ain't got no time to be a-foolin' here. We know who that feller is, and we're a-goin' to have him. He's been a-sneakin' round this here neighborhood long enough. As for you, mister, we allow your help'll be some better back where you come from, and we aim to hep you leave this neck of the woods right sudden. Open up now, and turn that there feller over to us, and we'll let you off easy-like. If you don't, we'll bust in the door, and make you both dance to the same tune. There won't be everything under you to dance on, nother. The old shepherd was replying kindly, when his speech was interrupted by a pistol-shot and a command from the leader, at which the entire gang charged toward the cabin, firing as they came, and making the little valley hideous with their drunken oaths and yells. From his window young Matt coolly emptied his revolver, but even as the crowd faltered there came from their leader another volley of oaths. "'Go on! Go on!' yelled Wash. "'Their guns are empty now. Fetch em out for they can load again!' With an answering yell, the others responded. Carrying a small log, they made for the cabin at full speed. One crashing blow, the door flew from its hinges, and the opening was filled with the drunken, sweating, swearing crew. The same instant, young Matt dropped his useless revolver, and springing forward, met them on the threshold. The old shepherd, who had not fired a shot, could scarcely believe his eyes, as he saw the giant catch the nearest man by the shoulder and waist, and lifting him high above his head, fling him with terrific force full into the faces of his bewildered companions. Those who were not knocked down by the strange weapon scattered in every direction, crouching low. For a moment the big fellow was master of the situation, and standing alone in the doorway, in the full light of the moon, was easily recognized. "'Hell, boys, hits young Matt hisself!' yelled the one who had raised a laugh, by saying that young Matt was sick, and the shepherd was wanted to doctor. "'Yes, it's me, Bill Simpson. I'm sure ailin' to-night. I need somebody to go for a doctor powerful bad,' returned the young giant. "'We never knowed it were you,' whined the other, carefully lengthening the distance between the big man on the doorstep and himself. "'No, I reckon not. You all played to find an old man alone, and do for him like you've done for others. A fine lot you are, ten to one, and him not knowin' the woods.' While he was speaking, the men slowly retreated to gather about their big leader under the tree, two of them being assisted by their companions, and one other limping painfully. Young Matt raised his voice. "'I know you, Wash Gibbs, and I know this here is your dirty work. You've been a-bragging what you'd do when you met up with me. I'm here now. Why don't you come up like a man? Come out here into the light, and let's you and me settle this thing right now. You all—crack!' A jet of flame leaped out of the shadow, and the speaker dropped like a log. 
With a cry the shepherd ran to the side of his friend, but in a moment the crowd had again reached the cabin, and the old man was dragged from his fallen companion. With all his strength Mr. Howitt struggled with his captors, begging them to let him go to the boy. But his hands were bound tightly behind his back, and when he still pled with those who held him, Wash Gibbs struck him full in the mouth, a blow that brought the blood. They were leading the stunned and helpless old man away, when someone who was bending over young Matt exclaimed, "'You missed him, Wash! Just raked him! He'll be up in a minute, and hell'll be to pay in the wilderness if he ain't tied. Better fix him quick!' The big fellow already showed signs of returning consciousness, and by the time they had tied his arms he was able to struggle to his feet. For a moment he looked dizzily around, his eyes turning from one evil triumphant face to another, until they rested upon the bleeding countenance of his old friend. The shepherd's eyes smiled back a message of cheer, and the kind old man tried to speak, when Wash Gibbs made another threatening motion with his clenched fist. At this a cry like the roar of a mad bull came from the young giant. In his rage he seemed suddenly endowed with almost superhuman strength. Before a man of the startled company could do more than gasp with astonishment, he had shaken himself free from those who held him, and breaking the rope with which he was bound, as though it were twine, had leaped to the shepherd's side. But it was useless. For a moment no one moved. Then a crashing blow from the butt of a rifle in the hands of a man in the rear of the two prisoners sent young Matt once more to the ground. When he again regained consciousness, he was so securely bound that even with his great strength he was helpless. Leading their captives to the old tree, the men withdrew for a short consultation, and to refresh themselves with another drink. When they had finished, Gibbs addressed the two friends. "'Weans didn't aim to hurt you, young Matt, but seein' how you're so thick with this here feller, and peer to know so much about him, I reckon we can't hep ourselves nohow.' He turned to the shepherd. "'There's been too dad-burned much funny-work at this ranch since you come, mister, and we uns low will just give warnin' that we don't want no more strangers snoopin' round this neighborhood, and we don't aim to have em neither. We uns low we can take care of ourselves, without ary help from the dad-burned government.' The shepherd tried to speak, but Gibbs with an oath roared, "'Shut up, I tell you! Shut up! I've been a-watchin' and I know what I know. Fix that there rope, boys!' and we'll get through and mosey long out of here. Ain't no use to palaver, nohow. A rope was thrown over a limb above their heads, and a man approached the shepherd with a noose. Young Matt struggled desperately. With an evil grin, Gibbs said, Don't you worry, sonny, you're a-goin' too. And at his signal another rope was fixed, and the noose placed over the young man's head. The men took their places awaiting the word from their leader. The shepherd spoke softly to his companion. "'Thank you, my boy.' The giant began another desperate struggle. Wash Gibbs, raising his hand, opened his lips to give the signal, but no word came. The brutal jaw dropped. The ruffian's eyes fairly started from his head, while the men who held the ropes stood as if turned to stone, as a long wailing cry came from the dark shadows under the bluff. There was a moment of death-like silence. Then another awful, sobbing groan, rising into a blood-curdling scream, came from down the road, and from the direction of the ruined cabin advanced a ghostly figure. Through the deep shadows and the misty light it seemed to float toward them, moaning and sobbing as it came. 
A shuddering gasp of horror burst from the frightened crew under the tree. Then, at a louder wail from the approaching apparition, they broke and ran. Like wild men they leaped for their horses, and flinging themselves into their saddles, fled in every direction. Young Matt and the shepherd sank upon the ground in helpless amazement. As the outlaws fled, the spectre paused. Then it started onward toward the two men. Again it hesitated. For a moment it remained motionless, then turned and vanished, just as Jim Lane came flying out of the timber into the bright light of the little clearing. End of chapter 16 and 17